The Quarter Portion Podcast is a production of CopperClub.com. Hello and welcome to a very special edition of the Quarter Portion Podcast. On Saturday, October 28th, Chris and I had the privilege of interviewing Daniel Logan, who played the legendary Star Wars character Boba Fett in Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, as well as The Clone Wars. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We had a lot of fun doing the interview, and we hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome to London Comic Con's Q&A panel with Daniel Logan. Good morning, London. How's everybody doing? If there's anybody else out there who wants to get over and see the Q&A panel or ask Daniel any questions, uh, come to the main stage. Sue talks first. You talk first. I talk first. We are Chris DeHoog. Patrick Fletcher. We are from the Quarter Portion Podcast, just a humble Star Wars podcast trying to make its way in the galaxy. We are absolutely honored today to get to interview one of the most iconic characters in science fiction and Star Wars, the real Boba Fett now, Mr. Daniel Logan. Are you out there? Uh, he's uh, here somewhere. I think he's got an escort. Um... He's out there somewhere. time so I don't even know what time it is thank you guys so much for coming out to the comic-con and not only supporting me but the whole entire comic-con and the stories and actors that are behind them all I played young Boba Fett many moons ago in a galaxy far 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 away yeah welcome to London thank you yeah very very excited to come I uh, I've been here for two days and I've loved this I've loved the city uh, you stole a lot of everything from the actual real London. You just minimized it, made it everything smaller. <laughs> yeah, Did you come much. straight from New Zealand? No, I actually live in California now. So uh, yeah, I've been I've been on the other side of the uh, of the fence. How long have you lived in California? I've been in California 16 years. I left New Zealand at about almost 16. I don't know what made a 16-year-old boy think it's a good idea to leave his family, his home, and everything he knew. Yeah. But uh, I was that kid. And I figured, well, instead of not just moving down the road, I moved all the way to the United States. And George Lucas, actually, um, he was the biggest blessing in my life. Not only did he give me the movie Star Wars, but later on, um, when I made that decision, I reached out to George Lucas, and he actually wrote me a handwritten letter to the immigration office for my immigration. My lawyer says to me, Daniel, you're going to have to go back to New Zealand for six months because it takes about a six months or longer period for them to do all the paperwork and figure out everything and, and get you approved or denied. So she said, you're gonna have to go back home to New Zealand for six months. And I'm thinking in my mind, like, that's going back to prison, right? I'm like, oh no, New Zealand for six months? <laughs> when everyone else in the world's like, what are you talking about? It's paradise. You'll understand if you go there. Very expensive, very, very expensive. <laughs> uh, so he wrote me this letter and I went to New Zealand less than a week later after the letter was submitted to the immigration. And I get a call from my attorney and she's, she says, Daniel, you'll never believe this, but you've been approved. And I was only back in New Zealand one day and I got the call that you can come back home. And I'm like, what the? She's like, this has never, ever happened in the history of my whole career. 
That's She's amazing. like, I, I don't know. And I said, well, I do know. I said, you know, when you got the power, like someone like George Lucas, he never signs autographs. He's never at conventions. You know what I mean? And they finally got an autograph that came across their table. You know, they didn't have to go to a con. They didn't have to try and track him down. He kind of found them. And they didn't care who Daniel Logan was. They just wanted the George Lucas autograph. It proved me. And <laughs> Taking a break. He's got real authority, yeah. Um, as, a, as kind of a welcome to London Comic Con on behalf of the Quarter Portion Podcast and Nerdful Things, which is right beside our booth behind Toboggans there, a little um, a 3D printed <laughs> Buddha Boba Fett. I'm going to keep rubbing his belly for more and more <laughs> luck every day. <laughs> oh, this is beautiful, guys. Thank you so much. They have much. some really cool stuff over there. You should check it out. I will. You know, my, uh, my wife and I, we just got a 3D, well, she got a 3D printer, and she's been making all these fun little things, and it's amazing where technology is going. You know what I mean? We watched all these spacecraft movies where you see them making things out of goo that end up becoming tools and stuff. We're really moving so far forward that we're almost there. You know, it's unbelievable. Like it's, something like this. It is pretty this. cool, yeah. So I got a funny story for you guys. So I was in, uh, my car broke down. I rented a car, Cadillac, of course it's American, so it's no good. Uh, it broke down on the 401, right in front of 218, the literally, the sign. <laughs> I'm not lying, it was sad. So I, uh, I tell my buddy Colin here, I said, hey Colin, put your thumb out, let's hitchhike, try and get to like, you know, a service station, a gas station, anywhere. He's like, I'm not, because he's actually from London. He's like, I'm not doing that. <laughs> People get murdered on, the, uh, on movies when they do that. And like, you know, so we're like walking, talking about, you know, getting kidnapped or murdered by, you know, someone, a hitchhiker, basically. He forgot we're not in America or Detroit. So we're walking back and it's taking like forever to get back, right? And he's like, he turns to me, he's like, no one in this town stops or even offered for a ride. How, like, what kind of town is this, right? I mean, two seconds later, this lady drives on by. Ah! Hey, you guys, uh, are you guys broke down up there? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Get in, I'll give you a ride. I mean, she was beautiful. I would not have given us two suckers a ride, even if I wasn't a woman, you know? And <laughs> yeah. She drove us up the road, and I'm sitting in the back thinking, see, Colin, you never know. It was, I mean, it was less than two minutes, and she just pulled over. I Things, was like, that is Canada right there, you know? Yeah, we're that's the hospitality for sure. <laughs> oh, it was unbelievable, but what an amazing, I forgot, where was, where was it? Inga somewhere. 218 off ramp, you know where I'm at, I don't. Thereabouts, yeah. Ingersoll? Ingersoll, Ingers yeah. yes, Ingersoll, <laughs> population of 13,000 or something like that. I walked by the sign, trust it's me. It's that. Walked by, I'm never gonna forget this sign. Um, but yeah, uh, I've had a wonderful time here in Canada. I haven't been back for a while. I used to have to come to get my immigration uh, paperwork all taken care of, but it was always during the freezing dead winter. Yeah, of course. <laughs> we're, we're getting there that's, soon. That's but. not the best time to, uh, to experience this country. It's nice to have a little bit of a cool down, but it's also nice to go back to the sun. I lived in Utah for three years, and I finally realized what the saying was, it's nice to watch snow for Christmas on the TV than it is to actually live in it during the Christmas. <laughs> and then you want true. it gone, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so we always like to ask people, like Star Wars fans, what was your first experience with Star Wars? Like, what was your first earliest memory of it? Um, you know, my first memory was really my audition process. 
I had no clue what Star Wars was. I grew up in New Zealand. My mom raised six kids by herself, and there was no cable. So we had three TV channels. At 11.45, this little bird would come on the TV and go, good night, New Zealand, and literally put the whole country to sleep. And then the TV would shut off. So Star Wars never came by. People also don't realize, now I'm the, like the biggest Star Wars nerd. I grew up in the episodes between episode six and one. There was 16 years of absolutely no stories besides backstories, uh, back fan created projects, and, and a few little stories we don't talk about. <clears throat> but uh, other than that, there was no like real Star Wars until episode one. So when I came into it all, I was very, very uh, uh, young, I, I guess, right. fresh. Right. So when they asked me to do the audition, my agent called me screaming, like basically couldn't breathe because she was so excited that she had managed to land me the audition for Star Wars. Well, I'd been doing auditions for months, years, and I was doing well at them. So I'm like, yeah, sure, another audition, just send me over the script and I'll get this one too. So she replies back to me, Daniel, you don't get it. This is Star Wars. You're not gonna get this movie. That's encouraging. But I will forever be able to sell you as the kid that auditioned to be the kid that was in Star Wars. So do you think it was better that you kind of went in un oh. unassuming and just... You know, it's like when your parents are like, oh, he's gonna do good at sports today, but then you show up and you get like 50 goals and they're like, wow, he's better than I thought. It was kind of that reaction. You know, right, she's yeah, like, right. you aren't gonna get this. So when I went into the audition process, my mother and my grandmother got stopped at the door. It was a beautiful hotel, the nicest one in New Zealand. They stopped their, them at the door and they only said, the boy only, <laughs> you know, like, okay. So I walked in and I had to start selling myself from that moment on because there was, no, there was no script. I wasn't even allowed to tell anybody for two years after filming that movie that I was actually in the movie Star Wars. Oh, wow. M imagine being 13, <laughs> there was a girl that you had a crush on, you figured, man, uh, What's the biggest pickup line then? Hey, I'm about to be in a Star Wars franchise, you know? <laughs> so uh, there was no script. So when I went in, I had to basically sell Daniel Logan, right? Like, what do you do? How, what's your hobbies? And then it came to my very first line experience. They asked me if I had any special talents. <laughs> of course I've got special <laughs> talents. Now you're gonna start thinking of special talents that you have, right? So. Uh, I had just seen episode one with Darth Maul. So I figured I'm gonna be the next Darth Maul. You know, there's gonna be a whole bunch of Darth Mauls. Well, in my country, we have a thing called the Tayaha, and it's a stick that looks like a double-handed lightsaber that back in the day, we used to fight one-on-one -on -one combat and kill each other with in real life in right. New Zealand. Right. So I told her that I knew how to do the Tayaha. I knew she wouldn't have a stick in this beautiful hotel, right? Like, well, and if she did, right it'd take here. a long time to find it. So I'm like, yeah, I know how to do the Tayaha very good in it. Matter of fact, I, uh, I'm one of the best in my school. You know, I'm blind her. So she says, well, why don't you show me what it looks like? Well, uh, do you have a stick? No, 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 but this is Star Wars. Just pretend like you have a stick in your hand. <laughs> That's what you call calling the bluff, right? You're right, absolutely. So I was the very first Star Wars kid ever in the whole of the world before social media and, and YouTube. I ran around this hotel room like this. Nailed it. Nailed it. <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to be Darth Maul. So that was my very first experience, right? I found out later on that I auditioned out of like 5,000 children worldwide. Oh, wow. And for some reason, they chose my big forehead. 
to continue the role as Boba Fett. But uh, yeah, I've been asked all the time, what do you think allowed you or made you be the one to get this role? And my honest answer is that I was the kid that prayed the most. And that really is, you know, most kids prayed once or twice a day. I was praying four or five times a day, you know? But for me, uh, I really don't have a clue. Jeremy Bullock, who's the original Boba Fett, his theory is, think about having to watch all of those audition tapes, right? You get to like 2,437 or something like that, and you're done. You're like, man, I need a drink, I need to go to the toilet. So you just happen to freeze on someone's face. <laughs> you go, you have your break, you come back, you're like, you know what, I'm done. Just, just call this kid, he will do. Well, you, st you stood out for sure, too. I said, hey, I just I said to Jeremy, I said, I don't care how I got it, I just care that I got it. Yeah, no, you got it, man. And I can harass you for the rest of my life. <laughs> when, you, when you were on set, was there any, um, like, did you have any, was there any specific piece of acting advice or direction that was given to you by George that sticks out in your mind? George was amazing. You know, most people have heard only nothing, because I never knew about all the criticism and everything else beforehand about actors saying he's, you know, more, more, fire, higher, whatever. But for me, I never had that experience, right? As an actor now, you've trained yourself so much that it's like if I hire someone to come do electric work on my house, but they're a plumber, right? Like, you really need to know all your tools. You need a general contractor who can do everything. And that's what actors end up becoming. And as an adult, you really don't have an excuse for the director to be sitting there the whole time going, okay, I want you to see this. I need you to pull this emotion. I need this to happen. Like, you expect you're paying someone who's a qualified person to do your job. As a child, you get away with that because you don't have the years of experience. You don't have the years of training by amazing teachers who have credibility to help you boost your um, acting abilities. So George really was one-on-one -on -one with me a lot. I see, if you see a lot of the photos of me and George, I just stare at him and he would just explain to me like, okay, um, Daniel, there's a, um, there's a droid over here and um, it's blowing up and there's smoke rising to the sky. Can you see that? And I'm like, <laughs> he's like, okay, great. Okay, uh, ready, ready, you know, and That's action. Amazing. You know, and then I'm already there. You know, when I was doing the asteroid uh, scene, he came up to me and says, so, um, when you, this was on Friday. He goes, so uh, when you come back on Monday, are you excited to um, fly through an asteroid field and uh, be chased by a Jedi? I'm like, so you go home to New Zealand for two days, right? The only thing you can think of is like, man, I'm gonna be flying through space chasing people, you know? Like, I don't know who I'm chasing or what the asteroid really looked like. Um, but he, he just gave you uh, images, images, images. Because um, a lot of the film, I mean, there was a lot of just green screen, right? Yeah, all of it was uh, green screen for me yeah. because I was blue. The thing between blue and green screen is that if I'm a blue character, I can't use blue because I'd be special effects over as well. So you have to use green. Even if you have the smallest little blue on your outfit, you always work in green screen. So I never got anything else besides this green that looks like these bags right here, right? <laughs> Every day I go, bring, like, oh, come out a little browner, you know, from a suntan, just off the lights and the green. But, um, uh, you know, People ask me all the time about the helmet scene. This is how amazing George Lucas is. I didn't know that my dad got his head chopped off till I watched the movie the very first time at the premiere. Oh, wow. In New York. And I was the only one who cheered in the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> yes! They're like, oh! I'm like, yeah! So everyone asked me later on, like, why do you cheer when your dad got his head chopped off? I said, well, no, because I'm the baddest bounty hunter in the galaxy. <laughs> so I was meant to get my revenge, but I guess Samuel Jackson won't want to be killed by a punk kid. And yeah. Yep. Yeah, I just happened to be that punk kid.
So you had no idea at the time. That's amazing. No, well, George, I was just getting off the arena scene, and there was all these little pieces, like the ropes, my little uh, leg pieces. So I was just getting off all those pieces, and he came in personally himself and was like, uh, where's my Boba Fett? I need him for one more take. <laughs> so uh, he comes in, he grabs the helmet as we walk. I get all in, and he grabs the Django helmet as we're walking out of the costuming room. We walk over with one camera guy. He goes down, he says, can you do it like this? And being a little older now, like, I realized why he went on one knee, you know? Because you can't sit like this forever. Right. But uh, I went and I did it, but because I was so flexible, I just kind of did it like I was doing a number two poop. <laughs> you know, but it worked out well. Um, and it's one a fantastic said, scene in the film, man. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's awesome because when people ask, like when someone says, oh, he was in Star Wars, then they reply, oh, what were you, an Ewok? And I'm like, well, I would wish I was an Ewok. I'd be anything. I'd be a grain of sand or a tree swinging in the background. Like, <laughs> I'm more to left. Okay, what, what, more? Master? Okay, Master you know, intense, yeah. anything. But uh, then when you can say, no, I played the kid whose dad got his head chopped off in the second film, they're like, oh. I'm like, you know, the kid, you were him. Oh, man, I'm going to have to rewatch. Like coming through the immigration checkpoint, right? <laughs> I was so close to secondary, I felt it. You know when you feel the force of someone else? Like, So <laughs> I was coming through the border, and he... Uh, they, they, you know, you go through and he says, uh, where are you from? I said, I'm from California. He says, why are you uh, coming in with any, uh, why are you coming to Canada? Oh, no, are you coming in with any goods? And I said, the only thing I got as good is me, buddy. <laughs> and I knew that was the down point of secondary inspection. So he says, why are you coming to Canada? I said, oh, I'm coming to a Comic-Con. That was the second most closest to secondary inspection. <laughs> Don't you have Comic-Cons where you live? I said, yeah, but I travel the world to them. Third almost to strike, right? Like, <laughs> so that's when I had to break. Well, actually, I played Boba Fett in Star Wars. Oh, well, where you were too? <laughs> have a good night. <laughs> Tone totally chefs, yeah. Thank you, George Lucas. <laughs> Thank you, George Lucas. Saved your life again. <laughs> uh, so speaking of, uh, of, of Django Fett, uh, Tamara Morrison played your, your father on screen. How was your relationship on set with him? Like, how was that like working with him? You know, we still have a very, very close bond. I grew up without a father. So uh, after Star Wars, I gained a father. And he's always been like that with me now. After Star Wars, we met, we met on the film and he said to me, you're going to be playing my son, I'm going to be playing your dad. You call me dad and I'll call you son. So I said, okay, dad. And he looked down at me and goes, okay, son. <laughs> and we've really had the father-son bond ever since. Um, he would call my house after the film, you know, and he would, my sister or my brother would pick up and be like, hello, and he's like, hi, is Daniel there? And they're like, well, who's speaking? He'd be like, this is his father. And they're like, oh, click, you know, hang up and become, oh, he wants to call you now that you're famous, you know, like, how, where's he been all your life? And I'm like, what, what? And he'd call back, like, oh, no, this is his Star Wars father, Tim Weta Morrison. And he was so famous in my country, like, oh, my God, Daniel, Tim you know, I'm like, oh, yo, yo, that's just my father. Don't worry, you know. <laughs> that's fantastic. One of my favorite scenes in um, in that film is the scene when it's yourself, your father, and Obi Wan in the apartment on Camino. <laughs> I love that scene because the look that you give Obi Wan, that that kind of stink eye, that yeah. stink eye, that up and down <laughs> look was pristine, and that kind of leads into this question: Were there any parts? Any scenes in the film that you can recall that didn't make it into the film that might have been cutting room floor stuff that maybe a film that you wished ended up in the film? 
there was a lot. You got to remember there was different angling. So you only got one angle of it. Then we'd move and we'd do another angling. Then there'd be another one. There was somewhere Samuel Jackson wasn't walking through the tunnel on the Geonosis scene, you know. So then he would walk in. I mean, there was so much going on that you can't really remember the whole entire experience. Right. You only really get to remember what was left for mm -hmm. you on the on the film. Um, that scene that he's talking about when they come to my house. I love that scene. I grew up with two big brothers, right? Like, you know, brothers kind of get in trouble sometimes. So I, uh, my, uh, when George said to me, hey, Daniel, I need you to do a face like someone's suspicious. You know, you don't know why they're there, but they're coming to your house and you're just suspicious of them. And I'm like, oh, so you mean like a police officer coming to my house for my, one of my brothers? And he's like, <laughs> I'll be specific. No, you know, I'm like, oh, too honest, too honest. He's like, who have I hired? I'm gonna have to do a background check on this kid. <laughs> How did he slip through the background check? So then Ewan comes up to me and says, Daniel, just do a face like I did a very smelly fart. Can you do that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can do that. He's like, okay, very good. So I go up, I go, and meanwhile, it's right up on my face. So I look up, and as I look up, I start sniffing the fart. I'm like, so. He literally starts spitting in laughter in my face. George calls cut, he starts laughing, everyone starts laughing. I'm so confused, I thought that's what they wanted, right? right. So George calls me to the monitor and he says, Daniel, just check it out. So he rewinds it, does it back. I go, isn't that what you wanted? He says, yes, rewinds it again, plays it back slowly, and you see the nostrils just go. <laughs> As I'm sniffing the fart, so he's like, everything besides the nostrils. So uh, it took me like seven or eight takes after that to get it right. But meanwhile, Ewan is so much of a child, he's having fun with it. Every time he'd walk up to it, he's like, <laughs> like, so I wouldn't be able to stop laughing. I have a Polaroid of me and him, like, uh, hugging on the uh, set of, uh, out on the um, lot of the studio but there was a guy riding bike on, a bike on a bike. So he's put like these fart, like little things behind the guy on the bike because he's like, <laughs> so in the pictures like, boop, boop, boop. I'm like, you are one of a kind, but that's what kind of guy he is. He's amazing, Ewan McGregor. Yeah, seeing you sides of him today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so then after, the, uh, after Attack of the Clones, you went on to voice Boba Fett in, in the Clone Wars. So what was the experience like working on that series? You know, that was an amazing experience. All you kids out there, you gotta learn how to grease, bribe, or just figure a way into a good job, right? So I knew after Star Wars, I was like, that might be it. You never know. So then the Clone Wars came around, I became a very big fan of it. So I would see this director, Dave Filoni, at these conventions. So every time I saw him, I would try and buy his breakfast, his lunch, his dinner. If he was gonna get a soda, I'd rush in and like, I got it, yeah, don't worry. How much is it? Oh, do you take card? No. Um, <laughs> But I would try to buy everything for him, right? So then I get this call one day. I'm at home and I get a call like, hey, we would like you to come back and reprise your role as Boba. Would you like to do that in the Clone Wars? And I'm like, oh, yes. You know, I'm like, God calling me to heaven again. You know, I'm like, oh. So um, I go to the studio and uh, Dave Filoni's there and I kind of wait till everyone's gone. And I pull him aside and I say, man, thank you so much. What for? He said, for giving me this job. I never knew that buying you all those dinners and breakfasts and stuff would actually paid off. He's like, no, I, I didn't give you your job. He says, we actually didn't know where to go with the Clone Wars storyline. He said, at that point in time, 
George Lucas walks into the room, opens the door, pokes his head in and says, I want Boba Fett in the Clone Wars. Call Daniel Logan. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> like, I'm coming, father! <laughs> I mean, George Lucas is my second god, I tell you, you know? I have two prayers. God, please let George Lucas think about me as much as I'm thinking about him. And then I go pray to, you know, George Lucas. I'm like, George, please let God keep blessing me with all your blessings. <laughs> On that note, how excited are you for the next season of Clone Wars? Oh, I'm so excited, right? Yeah, the girl. You know, Disney, they canceled it. I think it was getting a little too graphic. Actually, it was getting really graphic. Um, Boba was doing some really, really cool stuff. He started actually becoming a bounty hunter. Um, oh, wow. And at the time, it was just too graphic, I think, for what Disney was used to. We had actually recorded seven episodes oh, wow. that didn't get aired. You got to see a second of maybe uh, the one Cad Bane, one episode. Yeah, you got like that two minutes, little bit. Yes, but yeah, and, and then the Ventress one. So there were so many episodes that was coming up, um, and Boba was just doing some really cool stuff. Uh, I don't cry, but I mean, I started tearing up when I saw some of these episodes, you know, and what I was going to be, what I was doing. So we actually recorded them. Um, but yeah, that's all that's left. I don't know. They might come back. You never know. Love to see it, for sure. I don't want to ruin anything, but so the <laughs> process of doing the film towards to doing the voiceover, right? It's so completely different, but they're so completely amazing. So they actually bring the whole cast in. So if I'm doing an uh, episode with um, James Arnold Taylor, um, all of the gang, right? They bring them all in, and then we just read down the line. So he will say his line, she's got her line, he's got his line, then it's my lines. Then we go back, boom, 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 boom. And then the next person, if he jumps in line, if he's got a smaller role. So you're basically just reading the story together and playing off each other's emotions and, and, and uh, expressions through the voice. Right, right. But as you can see, I'm, I move a lot. So I didn't realize that when you go into a studio, you shouldn't wear like jewelry and scratchy clothes and things that are gonna make extra sound, because I move a lot. So they basically had to make me like I was in a straight jacket. I couldn't move, but I had to just force all the voice um, in order to bring this character to life. And for me, that was very hard. I like to use my expressions to take you on the journey with me. Right, right, yeah. What about The Mandalorian? Oh, that's going to be good. I heard someone stole some stuff off of the uh, set. <laughs> <laughs> it's been happening for years. <laughs> Any thoughts on, the, on the, the, the upcoming series? I think it's going to be very good. It's going to give uh, light to, um, you know, a race of... Uh, that hasn't really been uh, exploited until now. I mean, the Clone Wars, they started going there with it, but now we're gonna get a TV show all dedicated to men that are under the armor. Um, you know, all the fan groups are wonderful. 501st, they've had amazing, um, you know, uh, what, is, what is the word I'm trying to say? Uh, like a lot of love from Lucasfilm. As you see, like, the 501st is the biggest group, so, when it comes to uh, like doing like, like little fan projects or little side projects through Lucasfilm, it's always been 501st. And the Mandalorian Mercs, I was there when they started, first started with a guy called Tom. And uh, you saw a little group that had just as much passion, but they loved the Mandalorian armor just as much as Star Wars itself. And that's when they grew the Mandalorian Mercs. And now, however many years, 15, 16 something years later, we now have the storyline, The Mandalorian. So you never know, like, by being a fan, when you actually get picked up and listened to. 
It might take 20, 30 years, but you know, Star Wars eventually comes around and realizes that the fans actually are what has driven and, and made Star Wars. And then we've also got other ones like the Rebel Legion. Don't forget about them. You're like, there's actually another fan group? Yeah, there, there's a bunch. There's a You know, and I think that's, that's what Star Wars is all about. The passion and, and people who have dedicated their lives, their families, you know, their, their wealth to making uh, authentic costumes that look just like the movie. I have one now that's a Boba Fett. And I mean, he stands on a mannequin. I haven't yet worn him to a convention. I put him on once in a while for photo shoots. But you don't realize the dedication it takes to not only care for them, wear them, transport them, you know? Right. A, the back piece breaks, you're like, oh no, I gotta get a new back piece, you know? Your little cod piece breaks, you know? There's all these little pieces that break that you just don't realize, you know? That you're like, ah. They're, they're like a boat. You're constantly <laughs> adding to them, you know? You're, it, yeah. it's, <laughs> it's a forever longing uh, investment. What it's become certainly transcends the films. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. When you go to a Star Wars com uh, convention, you go to a Star Wars premiere, and you see the presence of all those people in costumes, you know that Star Wars is about to air, you know? Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Um, so just one more question before we open up to the audience for a few minutes. Um, Boba Fett is a character we barely see on screen in the films. He's in you know, a few minutes in the, in the originals. You had a small part in the, in, the, in, the, in the prequels. But he has such a huge following. Like, what is it about the character, you think, that drives people or that brings people's attention to him? Like, what is it that inspires people about him? You know, he was an amazing character. He wasn't even meant to be Boba Fett. He was actually meant to be something called the Super Trooper, which was eventually going to be all the Stormtroopers. But then when Gary Kirst and George and all the gang at Lucasfilm went over these costumes and how long it's going to take and how expensive it would be to put everybody into a suit like that, they realized that they're going to have to scratch that idea. And then Gary Kurtz, I think, was the one who said, why don't we make him a standalone bounty hunter, along with Bosk, you know, and all the rest. So um, that's when he really came to life. And I th I, if you've seen all the images of how they try to recreate him in, in the white and then they went to the green, it's, it's an amazing, amazing concept, right, to how he evolved to who he is today. But the way he's still been able to survive is the fact that there was all these background stories. And I think the military have taken on this character so much with pride because he does resemble someone with a stature of, of a militant, right? Then the helmet gave such a mystique to him that you didn't know if he was an alien, a human, what race he was. At one point he was a human, now we rewrote the books, he's a clone, you know, like, I, I get all that, but uh, I, I truly believe it was the, it's the, it was the fans that, that kept writing background stories that allowed this character to continue living beyond the Sarlacc pit, before there was the Sarlacc pit, you know, and, um, or, or the, the belief that that was the end with the Sarlacc pit. Yeah. So, um, that's what George, I believe, started giving love and credit to this one small little character. You know what I mean? He didn't have to put Boba Fett, he could have chose any other one of the characters to put in, but he chose that character himself. Um, and then, coming out, they were like, oh, that's our Boba Fett. And it's this long head, curly looking girl boy thing, you know, it's like, hi, Dad, Tom Reese You know, it's like, what is that? You know, you're like, hi, I'm Boba Fett. You want to talk to Django? One second. Django, Tom Reese here. You're like, all of five foot nothing. Yeah, you had all the attitude, though. It, it, you, oh. you believed it. You know, I, people say to me, you're so kind, you're so happy and outgoing. Like, you were so, like, miserable on the film. 
I said, yeah, they just didn't feed me, you know? I said, I missed lunch one day, and that was my angry face, you know? And George <laughs> said, what's up with the kid? He said, well, you worked him too much. He, he missed lunch. He said, well, make him miss lunch for the rest of the time. <laughs> <laughs> just kept me hype up on sugar, you know? It's my very... <laughs> okay, Let's uh, open this up yeah. to the audience. Yeah, hey, does anyone have a... Yeah, come Here, on. Chris, if you want to... Yeah. Daniel will come to you. Give me a hug. Daniel Logan, so, ladies and gentlemen. So thank you for coming to my hometown first. Um, you brought up the Mandarin, uh, Mandalorian. Do you think there's a chance that we will see Boba Fett? Like, I'm not sure exactly what the timeline is, but there's a chance, possibly, that we could see Boba Fett. You never know where Bubba will show up in a galaxy again. <laughs> I can't spoil it. You're gonna have to wait and see. He might—he he, might have died. You never know. Like, there's been some time that we haven't been there. You know, the Star Wars galaxy has been moving on. There's been years. He could have died before the Sarlacc plate, and then they recloned him up a bit of himself. Oh yeah, there you go. Never thought of that. Just creates some new background stories. <laughs> um, you never know, right? Uh, with Star Wars, there's always a possibility. Um, I think uh, Boba Fett is definitely. Um, on, on their um, line of sight. Um, it, yeah, it's just all about trying to figure out where we're going to fit them in best, you know? Um, yeah, because yeah. to, to throw them in for no reason would be... But I know that the Mandalorian is going to be really cool. Yeah, the, the one picture alone just looks amazing. Oh, that's all that Favreau needed to post, you know what I mean? I that's all you need to post. Yeah, it's all good. Uh, what was your next uh, role after Star Wars? You know, I took a little bit of a break. These conventions, they were amazing for me. I was so young at the time that I was seeing things that, from other actors and stuff like that that as a little kid you were shocked by. And most kids get influenced to it, where I kind of got drawn away from it. Um, thanks to Star Wars, I still was managed to have some sort of fame. I call it part-time fame. I go home and my wife makes me do all the dishes, the cleaning and taking care of the kid. And then I come to a convention and then I'm Daniel Logan Boba Fett again, you know? So um, that, that's kind of why there was such a, a little period of, of no acting for me. But I was still acting in school. So every uh, three times a week, I would travel an hour from Orange County where I live all the way to LA to train with the best of the best voiceover uh, coaches, acting coaches, theater coaches, so I've actually honed a lot of my acting, um, but just because I, I wasn't producing it on film, um, I was getting a little embarrassed about myself, but I talked to my friend Christopher Lloyd. He played Doc from Back to the Future. He says, Daniel, listen, I never started my career until I was almost 32 years old, right? He said, but from the ages of 21 to 32, he told everybody he was an actor. He said, because I was doing acting classes. He's like, I was acting all day, every day in these classes, so I could go around the world telling people like, yeah, I'm an actor, you know, well, what are you being in? Nothing, but I'm doing classes. <laughs> but I wanted to do more than classes. I just wanted to, to have that break, try to grow a little, mature a little, and then come back with even more feist and power. So I just finished a film um, with the Funko Pop and um, a video company called, a video game company called Valve. They created um, a game called Dota 2. And Dota 2 is huge in Asia and, and most of the world. So we just did a video game, a movie about the video game in the Philippines and China. 
um, because they have these humongous arenas and stuff like that out there. And, um, so that one was done with the Green Power Ranger, Jason David Franks. Uh, he was a part of it as well. So I'm just starting to get back into it to show that I haven't just given up on it. Um, but yeah, I did take a little bit of a, a quiet patch. Sometimes, you know, I, I tell my family and friends, they say, you know, I think it was good for you. And I said, well, I don't think that sometimes I should have just continued in the race. It's like a marathon. If you're first in the marathon and you're sitting there and you're ahead of all the rest of the kids in your age group or whatever, and then you decide one day I'm just gonna take a seat on this bench. Well, at that point, not only did the gap get smaller, but the people started catching up and then the people started getting better and younger. So as you're sitting there watching these people thinking, oh, I'm still in the race, they're running by and they're doing well, you end up trying to jump back in the race. Well, now you've got a whole lot longer to get ahead now than when you should have just continued in it when you were at the top. But don't worry, question. there's a lot more to come, trust me. You have a question right here, Chris. Yeah, First off, I'd like to say it's an honor. And uh, my question is, uh, well, who is your favorite actor to work with on set? Yeah, I, um, I love them all. I love them all. Like, uh... Well, Ewan seemed pretty funny. Ewan, <laughs> Ewan, and, Ewan and, and Tim Wood Morrison were my two favorite that I hung out with most of the time. But I have a great Christopher Lloyd story. Uh, not Christopher Lloyd, Christopher Lee story. I had no clue who Christopher Lee was. Remember, we had three TV channels, 11.45, Bird came in and shut off the TV, said goodnight to all of us, right? had no clue who this old man was. My nana was more like my mother. Anything that she wanted, I would do. She said jump, I just said how high, right? So she starts shaking me, son, son, do, do you know who that is? I'm like, oh, some very tall old man. I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. You know, I was a little 13 year old clone. And uh, she's like, that, that is Christopher Lee. You have to go take me to meet him. I've loved him all my life. And I'm like, uh. <laughs> so here she is fangirling out. I haven't even met the guy myself, let alone had a word with him. So I'm like, all right, come on, take her on over. I'm like, hello, sir, how are you doing? This is my nan, she's fangirling now. I'm like, oh. So he turns back to me and he says, hey, you're doing a great job. I said, thank you, sir. He says, is this your first film? I said, yeah, this is my, my, my very first big film, yeah. Is this your first film? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, remember this. This is my only big film this year. It took a lot of the year just to film this one movie, right? So I think in my mind as a 13-year-old little boy, hey, you film one movie a year. <laughs> so he says, my boy, I have done over 150 films. <laughs> so as a kid who never thought about what he said, I replied, oh my God, you must be old. <laughs> 150 years old, to be correct, right? So, huge ass man, I mean, huge. I won't forget this, we were in the studio. He like stares down at me like, what? <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm ruining my Nana's meet and greet with her favorite fan, <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, sorry. Talk about, you know, a bad uh, in uh, interaction. <laughs> so I said, uh, 50, 51? <laughs> and he just goes from two. 
my boy, you have just made my day. <laughs> All right. I was like, okay, Nana, come on, let's go before I say anything else stupid. <laughs> Do we have any other questions from the audience? I go over here. Hi. Hey, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm wonderful. Excellent. Wonderful. In addition to playing Boba Fett, you also played a room full of young clones. Uh, how is it like filming that scene? Did they have to lay movies from chair to chair and different facial expressions? Most people don't realize, but you got it 100%. So people are like, hey, so what was it like to be CGI'd and then just put all over the place? I said, no, that took two 14-hour days. And I believe, at my age, that was child labor. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 I, I was happy to work for you, Mr. Lucas. <laughs> no, but... That took two 14-hour days, right? They had me sit here. Then, like, I couldn't just go down the line and sit like this. I was sitting here. Then I had to jump down two levels, but there was no mats or rugs, so I was literally having to lift myself up and scoot myself over to the next platform without touching the boots on the green screen, or else I'd just ruin that whole entire spot. And if they try green screen over it, it's gonna have a, a bit of black in it where they won't be able to do it. So I was literally having to do this just to be able to get to sit. <laughs> right? And the opposite, it's like... Well, then I had to go down. So I'm like... <laughs> like, gymnastic at the finest. People said, you were a very strong-looking little kid. I said, well, Star Wars was my very first workout. When I wasn't having to jump over different blue green screens in order to, like, not touch it with my feet, uh, I, was, I was having to lift Django Fett out of his very, very comfortable lazy, bear, lazy boy chair. So that's another story. I think you got one more story, time for one more, right? So Django Fett, when I walked on the set, we all seen in the movies, you got your star with your name and on your room. And you're like, celebrity! You know, you're thinking, I've made it to the stars. So I walk in, bust open the door, my name on my door, open it, and I got like a couch like this like a two-seater. I got a very big table, and I got a clothes rack with a bathroom. Sit on my couch. I made the big time, you know? So then when Django Fit gets the set, he tells me to meet him over in his room. So I go over to his room. He has two rooms. I guess my agent didn't negotiate as well as his agent did. And um, he had all of the latest Lazy Boy couches, I mean, the whole entire living room set. <laughs> he had a, a fridge that was nonstop. I mean, it just, you drink, it gets replaced. Somehow the force was strong in his room. I, he had a big screen TV and he had a secondary room which was like his bedroom which he could relax, sleep, and if he wanted to take a rest. This is when I realized I got the short end of the stick. So I was like, hey, look, instead of complaining, which I wasn't allowed to do anyway, because my mother would have beaten me. I just figured, why don't I just use Tim for his amenities, his beautiful, light, lazy boy couches and his unlimited sodas and his TV that he could watch anytime he likes. <laughs> so I thought that I was getting one up on him. I didn't realize that every time he got back to his set, that armor was so heavy that he wasn't able to pull himself out or he would have to kind of like, it was just so heavy because they had actually made it out of steel on, on the newest one. So I was the one who had to always pull him out of the couch. So once he got all comfortable, I'd pull him up like, Ugh! and then like, you know, the little bulldogs from uh, 
Disney or Looney Tunes, or whatever, you know, they walk together. Hi, Dad. Yeah, let's go. Let's go save the galaxy. So then we'd walk to set together. Well, after like two months of doing this, I realized that like I still was getting the shorter end of the stick, right? Like the sodas weren't equaling out to me having to help this big man come out of his chair every single day. So I got caught on the set because sometimes you do eye lines. So it's really polite of you to come in when you're a break and stand behind the camera so that they can have like a real person eye line like you to do it. Most actors have uh, like a secondary people that will come in and stand for you. But for me, I wasn't doing anything. So I was like, hey, if you need me, you just call me. I'll be over in my one couch room, okay? Or in Tim's really nice one. <laughs> so they came and got me. And uh, I knew at this point, Tim was stuffed because he had no one to pull him out of the couch. So we have all these speakers like back in school. You remember in school, like Daniel Logan, please come to the principal's office. Daniel Logan, please come to the principal's office. You remember the little Absolutely. square boxes? Yeah. Yeah. We had them in the studio, so he could hear his name being called for like 20 minutes. Like, they asked me where he was. I said, I have no clue. Well, he could have been anywhere, right? He, just like me, I'm not sitting here all day. I could be over there. So I have kind of honest. I said, I don't know. So they went and they checked his bedroom because there was two doors, two entries. He wasn't there. It was black, you know, looked like no one was there. No one was home. So they were like, he's not in his room. So meanwhile, he can hear on the loudspeaker, Jago Fat to Studio 2, Jago. And he's like, oh, oh, no. You know, he's trying to get up. He's trying to move all the different parts. He can't bend his knees, so, you know. So eventually, after 20 minutes, I'm like, oh, you know what? I think I not, might know where he is. <laughs> they're like, where is he? I'm like, well, he might be in the couch in his room. And they're like, no, we checked. I said, no, no, check the other room. So there they go, they go and they check, and he's like sitting there going, oh, I'm gonna kill that boy, where is he, you know? So he gets a set, it was a raining scene, he gets a set, and like, you can see in the documentary, he's sitting next to me, he's like, whoa, where were you, boy? You know, he's like, kind of like giving father and son like talk, you know, I'm like, oh, I had no clue you were still there, you know? <laughs> no wonder you guys had such a good report. Oh, we really do, we really do, we still do to today. I mean, That's really cool that you guys still keep in touch and you're still friends. I go to New Zealand, I'm like, hey, I just landed. He's like, when are you coming to visit? I said, I I'll come tomorrow. Next day, he's like, all right, I'm putting on a pot. Meaning, like, in New Zealand, we have these big pots that you just shove, like, uh, big pieces of, like, uh, uh, beef on the bone. And then we have watercress and, like, uh, we call kumara, but it's like a sweet potato kind of thing. It's like a New Zealand feast. I take, like, 10 of my family members down there, and this pot feeds us all. He's just happy for us all to come. You're making me hungry. Oh, trust me, I always get hungry <laughs> as soon as I land in New Zealand. I gain... Do we have any other questions from the audience? Yeah, oh yeah, any for, more questions? Sorry, I'll just keep talking. So I train with Ray Park also. He's like a brother to me. Um, he's been on my case lately to get back to his gym. He says, uh, he's starting to look more like Boba Fett. So, uh, you know, I think this, there might be still an option for Jabba the Hutt's tail, you know? I'm a little guy, I can move the tail around somewhere in there, you know, why not? <laughs> but I'll be getting back into shape, don't you worry. I've been comfortable for too long. Uh, Secrets don't make friends, guys. No. <laughs> uh, so, or, or you mentioned your, your custom-made Boba Fett suit. How did you get that, uh, like, how, how did you arrange to have that made? Yeah, tell us about the armor, man. So, um, the wonderful Mandalorian Mercs, they had commissioned me a helmet after giving everybody else in the Star Wars galaxy a helmet before me. So when they gave it, there was a, they said that the paint was like wrong or it didn't sit right or something like that. So my helmet started looking like 
someone had smothered like toothpaste all over it. Um, but like a Honda Civic, if that's all you got, you're gonna wax shine and you're gonna like love that Honda Civic, right? So I would take this helmet everywhere I would go, you know, like photo ops on my table, like, and I was very proud of my helmet. I still am, you know, it's in my collection. It was my very first one. So it has a very, it's got its uh, place in my heart. Well, this guy, Nino, who's wasted fed on Instagram, he was a little drunk at um, celebration, and I was sitting there talking with my father, Django Fett. <laughs> and he comes up, he's like, hey, bros. Man, like, I'd love to make you guys a helmet. Rah, rah, rah. He's like, Daniel, bro. He's like, love your helmet, but bro, I took a photo up with you today, and it's like, how do fans like me have a better helmet and uh, helmets than you do? And I'm like, that's it. sober. I'm thinking, that's actually a really good point. <laughs> so I start looking down at my Boba Fett helmet, I'm like, well, okay, cool. He's like, I would be honored to make you one. So I'm like, sure, well, while you're at it, make me the whole armor. And he's like, done. So you know when you talk to a drunk, I mean, someone who's drinking. <laughs> you don't really think they're serious, right? So then I started getting these calls, and like, I had to get sized by a lady called Arcady. And um, yeah, my, my suit came in, and about 10 people put their hard efforts painting, molding, uh, doing the leather work, doing the uh, servos so that my um, uh, scope comes down and up. Uh, it blinks and flashes. Um, yeah, just so many people put so much into it that it's just so beautiful and I love it. I, I Did you bring it. it? I didn't bring it, no. Um, it needs someone else to put me into it. You know, it's one of those armors <laughs> that, you're like, if you were a real bounty hunter, you couldn't really wear this because Someone needs to put on the back strap and help you out. It's like you need a, a squire. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> squire, yeah. So, and then I couldn't imagine trying to come through the border with that. And then they well, asked yeah. That would be up. another thing coming across the border. Well, do you have anything? Well, I have a suit of armor, so <laughs> yeah. yeah, it might have been. Do you have any goods to clear? Well, I've rifle. got my Boba Fett armor. <laughs> what do you think about some of these guys, these cosplayers, the, uh, the Mandalorian I, armor we have around? I love them. I love each and every single one of them. You Some know, of the work that goes in is incredible, eh? The thing before the, before the Power Rangers came into the world, it was the Star Wars, you know? Now, the Power Rangers have competed, and I think they are almost on par with how many Power Rangers you... Huh? See? <laughs> I was just saying it. How many you see at a con? Where, with the Star Wars, they were the original people who would... Well, Star Trek and Star Wars. You know what I mean? And it was so refreshing to walk in and see your people and be like, yes, we're here, you know? Yeah. The presence. It's like if we're in prison, our gang is showing higher presence in the force. <laughs> we're going backwards again. See, that was a look from George, like, who have I hired? <laughs> you have any questions, Chris? Uh, hello. How, how many cons yes. do you... Oh, oh, sorry. No, absolutely. Go ahead, buddy. What's my thoughts on Star Trek? I did. Sometimes you get desperate. <laughs> nah, jokes. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, my friend, um, he, he does, uh, Vic Mignana, he does the Star Trek Continues. And um, the guy who was their navigator, he was sick or something happened to him. So he calls me, he's like, dude, you're like his right size. Would you mind coming to be in this episode of Star Trek Continues? And I'm like, sure, why not? But I got to meet Grant Imahara. And through my acting, I've learned so much. And as an actor to an actor, it's like, I see like when girls talk, right? It's not the same as when guys get together. Like, girls get together and like, uh, 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 you know? Last guys are like, oh, yeah, whack, laid back, whatever. So, I forgot my story. 
<laughs> See what happens. He was, he was asking you your thoughts on Star oh, Trek. So, <laughs> I, I end up doing it. I get on set, Kron's sitting there, and he's like looking at every single button as he's like pushing them, right? But as someone who's been working on that enterprise all your life pretty much, you know these buttons like as if they're like the stick in your car or like your mirror, right? You don't need to sit there and go, path to drive. You already know where drive is by so many clicks of driving that car over so many years, you know what I mean? Like, so I said to him as an actor to actor, like, hey, wouldn't it be more powerful if you sat there and you still gave the expression, but you were pushing your buttons at the same time as, you know, doing, doing the thing. And he's like, man, I really appreciate that. He goes, I've been looking down, putting this, you know, head to the, to the camera the whole time, when realizing, you know what, all it took was one little bit of advice. You don't need to look down. It's like a pilot. You don't see them like, all right, check, check, check. They're like, okay, cross check, man. Okay, release, you know. I've flown so much, you sit there and watch them, you know, you're like, ADHD as a grown man, it sucks, but it's great. <laughs> yeah, that extra layer of, uh, of detail to, to a performance, it goes a long But way. so then I get on the set, right, and the guy's shorter than me, so I was never able to stand up, and I wanted to walk around the bridge, but my pants look like this. No lies. So I sat under the table the whole time, and was like, cheap, cheap Star Trek. <laughs> Glad I worked on Star Wars. <laughs> how, many, how many Comic-Cons do you make it to every year? Man, you know... Uh, Can you keep track? <laughs> sometimes you can't keep track. I ended up reading off my, uh, off my passport. Uh, one year I went to 15 countries. Oh, wow. 15 countries. You know, and as a kid, it wasn't... I didn't have the capabilities of really seeing the world, being from the fact I was from New Zealand, and that, you know, my livelihood was just living day to day, like surviving to, till the next day. Um, and never thinking about being able to see a world out there with millions of fans of Star Wars, the cultures and, and you know, different ethnics. It's, it's beautiful. Um, this year I had a son. He's eight months old. Um, but I had already pre-said yes to a lot of conventions. So uh, I had to fulfill them. But um, next year I think I'm going to take a, take a little bit of a break. Not complete like a Jeremy break. I'm just... Slow down on, on as many, because I, I want to be there the through home, the crawling yeah. and the talking and, and all that stage. Yeah, right. You, you got to get him, him a suit of armor soon. You know, I think I'm going to get him in like a little Boba Fett uh, outfit, and then I'll wear like the Django Fett, and we'll walk around conventions together <laughs> and be like, can I take pictures of you guys? Wow, you actually look like Daniel Logan. I'll just sit underneath <laughs> my helmet like. <laughs> well, so I've actually commissioned two more suits. Can't really... They're special, <laughs> <clears throat> special suits. One, um, so yeah, I got two more armors coming. Nice, nice. Yeah, well, I got a whole, I got a whole office full of Star Wars Boba Fett stuff. I mean, the only person who's got a bigger Daniel Logan collection than me is that guy sitting there with the yellow shirt, Colin. <laughs> Anything is Daniel Logan. He's like, you never guess what came in the mail the other day. I'm like, what'd you buy now, Colin? Well, I bought your celebration. A uh, poster that sat behind you in 2017. I'm like, Colin, stop buying stuff. It's like you got the real prop here. You know, <laughs> you don't need to buy it anymore. You got the guy, the action figure. He talks, he moves. You can poke me. You know. <laughs> well, speaking for our, our podcast, and I think most of the fans here, we'd love to see you back in that role. Um, I don't know how you could have. I don't. Th I don't know how you could have a Boba Fett without without using you as Boba Fett, man. And uh, I, I hope you. to see you back on the screen. 
Thank you so very much. Yeah. No, it's been a blessing to be a part of Star Wars, and uh, the character Boba Fett has definitely been, uh, you know, besides my son, the highlight of my life. So, right. I, and my wife. Sorry, I got to add. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I always forget her. I sit there and I'm like, "You're the love of my life." <laughs> my wife's like, uh, uh, um. I'm "Like, oh yeah, you too, but." Uh, you are just so beautiful, you know? <laughs> well, you know what, man? On behalf of all these fans and Comic-Con and London, um, my podcasting partner, Chris, here, thank you for coming out, man. It's been a, it's been a great interview. Thank, thank you, guys, really. Thank you for your guys' questions. Beautiful Thanks question, man. I hope I gave good answers. Yeah. But thank you, every single one of you guys sitting there and listening for coming here. Because you can't all get to, like, Toronto or all the other Comic-Cons. But it's nice when people put on a con in such a close proximity to your hometown or even in your hometown to where you can enjoy them too, right? And, and that's why I love coming to these things. And if it wasn't for people continuously keep coming, they get bigger and bigger each year, Comic-Cons would have been gone a long time ago. So thank you guys very, very much. I really appreciate you all. Have a wonderful con. May the dark force be with you all. I'm stealing that from Ray. Daniel Logan, everybody. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that's all for today. If you enjoyed this episode, please like it and tell a friend, or better yet, leave us a review on iTunes, please. Got a question or comment on today's episode or anything else in the Star Wars universe? Tell that to Kyber Club. And by that, I mean drop us a line on Twitter, at Kyber Club, or on Facebook at the Quarter Portion Podcast official page, or on Instagram at the Quarter Portion Podcast. Your opinions and questions are worth 60 portions to us. Ask a question, we'll gladly answer it on the show. Check out www.kyberclub.com for all our contact information as well as our blog. You can find me on Twitter at Django Fletch and on YouTube at Wilderness Wisdom. And I'm on Twitter at Hookathy. Maybe one with the Force. And may the Force be with you.